In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. That's how the book of Judges ends. And we see this phrase multiple times throughout Judges where they have no king. Everyone does as they see fit. There is a level of chaos. There is a level of, of, of confusion, of disorganization. And of course, there is a level of sin and idolatry where there is no king. There is no rule. Everyone does as they see fit. And from that verse at the end of Judges, we get into 1 Samuel chapter 10 of the story, and, and things are pretty much the same. There is no king. There is no rule. Everyone does as they see fit. And they are under the oppression of the Philistines and the Ammonites, and there is violence. And there is idolatry. They begin suggesting that they need a king. And we see this theme run throughout Judges where there is no king, which implies that maybe there should be a king. And so we get to this point in the history of Israel, and we get to chapter 10 of the story, where we see the people calling out, crying out, for a king. So for those of you who are visiting with us, we are going through the story, which is a, a chronological view at, of the story of God from beginning to end. We're going through excerpts of, of scripture and, and seeing the big picture of God. And so this week we're in chapter 10. How many of you have had a chance to read chapter 10? Reading chapter 10, please be reading along so we get the most out of this. As we read together, we process together, we spend time in small groups talking through this. But in chapter 10, it's, it's picking up the story of 1 Samuel, and the, the story begins with the story of Hannah. Hannah is a woman who is without child, and her husband has another wife who has children, which becomes a sore spot for Hannah, and a spot of criticism and insults coming from this other woman. And Hannah begs and pleads with God to provide a child, to provide for her, to, to ease her pain in this. And God answers this prayer. And Hannah has a son, Samuel. And Samuel is dedicated to the service of the Lord. She, Hannah, as promised, takes him to the temple, gives him over to Eli to serve in the temple. And here Samuel grows up at the feet of Eli and, and learning from him and, and growing in this place. Each year, mom Hannah comes in and brings a little robe for him. And this is where he has his childhood. And this is where he hears the voice of the Lord for the first time. See, in that day, the voice of the Lord was not heard. And now Samuel hears the voice. And so Samuel grows, he becomes an adult, Eli has a very unfortunate death as he falls backwards out of a chair. You can, it's a weird story, you can snicker. <laughs> He's sitting in a chair, he finds out that the Ark of the Covenant has been taken and he falls backwards and breaks his neck. 
And so the rule of Eli is, is not one that is, is something to look at, to, at as, as an inspiration for great leadership. But Eli passes and Samuel comes in and Samuel is the point person. He is, he is a prophet. God is speaking to him. And he is providing leadership for this nation of Israel. But as Samuel ages and nears the end of his tenure and ends the time of, of him, he passes over the responsibility to his sons, who are a train wreck. And so the people come to Samuel and say, in 1 Samuel 8, 4-5, through 5, The elders of Israel gathered together. They came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. And so God tells Samuel that it isn't him that they're rejecting. The people come and say, we want a king, and, and, and Samuel can take this very personally. He can take the, this as, as a criticism of himself, but God says, it's not you that they're rejecting, they are rejecting me. That the people, in choosing to want a king, they're choosing a king over God's plans, they're rejecting God in the process. And Samuel warns the people, a king is not the answer to everything. This whole king thing, you think you want a king, but what that really means is there are going to be servants, and you're going to have to keep up with him, and you're going to have to take care of him, and you're going to have to protect him, and you are going to have to pay him lots of taxes. It's not all it's cracked up to be. If you want a king, this is going to be what it's going to take. You've got a king, and you're going to have to pay the price. But the people insist, we want a king. We want a king. This is their desire. And so sometimes God does what a parent has to do and allow immature children to get what they desire. It's like the child who just wants nothing but candy to eat, and, and they insist on having candy to eat, and, and finally the parent says, fine, you want candy, you can eat candy, and only eat candy, and eat candy for the next 24 hours, and, and soon the child realizes that that may not have been such a good choice. But God sometimes allows us things that we ask for, that maybe are not best for us, but we asked, and so he says, okay, Sometimes we pray for things, and he gives us those things. We pray for greater success at work. We, we pray for a bigger house. We pray for the corner office. We pray for things that may or may not be in God's will. But God says, okay, I'm going to give that to you right now. And let's see what you do with it. And so God says, okay, I'm going to give you this king. It wasn't my desire. It wasn't my plan. But I'm going to give this to you. Let's see what you make of it. Let's see what happens here. Israel chooses a king over God. And they choose because every other powerful nation around them has a king. This is what's expected. This is what is normal. And so Israel in this, in this episode makes three very foolish choices. The first foolish choice they make is power over purpose. Power over purpose. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham and tells him he's going to make this great nation. And in this covenant, in this promise, he says, you will be a nation that will bless other nations. 
you will bless all nations. This is a nation that is not assembled just for God's kicks, not for his enjoyments. God is creating a nation here with a very clear purpose. It's not for a military power. It is for a purpose of blessing others. But Israel chooses to forget that purpose, and they choose power instead. Before the foundation of the world, God has a plan, but Israel forgets that plan. We see that theme over and over, right? Where Israel is forgetting. Israel does not remember the stories of the past, and they lose sight of the purpose that they've been called to. We see the, the, the elders coming and saying, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. All the other nations are doing it. They're doing it. Can't we do it? This is the right way to lead a nation. It is to have military power. It is to, to have strength. And that strength is seen through a king. But they forget their purpose. They forget the purpose. The purpose that God gives them is a nation that fights battle to point people to God. Instead, they want to build the power for themselves. And they forget that the greatest military successes that they faced have not been by their own strength. Their greatest victories, their greatest deliverances, their greatest successes are coming from the power of God. God is the one who delivers them from Egypt. God is the one who parts the Red Sea. God is the one who defeats Pharaoh. God is the one who defeats Jericho. And we see this theme over and over. God is the one who is at work. But the people forget that. Because they want power for themselves. And they forget their purpose. This is something that we can fall into so easily. This is something that I wrestle with as, as, as a leader, as a minister, as someone who has to rely on God's purposes, but I so easily want to rely on my own power. I want to rely on my own skills, my own giftings, my own abilities. I, I depend on those things. And I get lost in that. Then I forget the purposes that God has called me to. He has called me to fight his battles in his power, not my own power. He has called me to operate and work within his plan and within his purposes, not within my own. Psalms 27, or 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses. We like to trust in that, right? We want to trust in our power, in our military might, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We don't trust in the military strength. We trust in the name of the Lord. Zechariah 4, 6, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It's not by our strength. It's not by our power. It is by God who calls us into these things. He provides the strength. He provides the power. And so we choose to allow God's purpose to take, or they chose to, they chose to allow God's purpose to take precedence over their own desire to control the outcome. No, we choose that. Sorry. Get that sentence back and, back and forth. Sorry. We choose to allow God's purposes to take precedence over our own desires. 
our own need to control the outcome. The power they could see versus the purpose that they couldn't is the trap that they got in. They wanted to see the power of chariots. They wanted to see the power of a king. And they thought they were so much better off with their own king. And so their desire for a king and powerful military changed the course of their history. A nation that was designed to have God as king is now a nation that has a physical king. A king that sits on a throne that they can physically see, they can physically interact with. And in 1 Samuel 8, verse 19, But the people refused to listen to Samuel. Samuel warns them, a king is not what God wants. This is not a good plan. He warns them, but they say they want a king. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. They wanted to be like everything, everyone else. Dave Stone says, says this, he says, The desire for normalization is usually a step away from God. A desire for normalization is usually a step away from God. And so the people of Israel look at the nations around them and they want what is normal. The normal way of governing, the normal way of building military power, the normal way of running a nation is to have a king in place. And so their desire for normalization was a step away from what God desired for them. And we are confronted with things all the time where we are, we are forced to choose between what is normal versus what God is wanting. And, and the times that we decide to go normal are the times that we're stepping away from God. We're not called to blend in. We're not called to just be one of the masses. We're called to stand out. We're called salt and light. We're called strangers and aliens. We're to be different. Israel was to be different. They were supposed to stand out as something different. They were supposed to bless the nations around them because of their reliance on the power of God. But instead, they fell back on their own power. And so God tells Samuel to anoint Saul king. Go ahead, let them have what they want. And he is the perfect picture of a king. He's tall, he's handsome, he's strong, a head above every other person. And so he fits this picture. But no king, however perfect in our eyes, can match up with God as leader. But their choice for power over purpose is not the only bad choice they make. They also chose circumstances over salvation. The circumstances over salvation. In Samuel chapter 12, Samuel begins a transition of leadership. He is, is aging and he's no longer able to lead and he anoints Saul as king. And there's this transition of power. Now transitions of power can go very smoothly or they can go very roughly. And this is one that does not go so well. The transition is not good. The guy coming into power is told by Samuel, this is not the best plan. And he's told by, by God, this is not the best plan, but, but he's left to be king anyway. How'd you like to walk into those shoes? So here's Saul. You've got Samuel against you. You've got God against you. This is a bad idea, but Saul steps up into that role of leadership anyway. This is not a good way to start. 
And when Saul is appointed king, Samuel calls together everybody for a final address. He's trying to give a final warning. He's trying to tell Saul, remember the past. Remember where you came from. Remember the God who delivered. Remember God who led. And in chapter 12, he says, But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both of you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you, as it was against your ancestors. So no matter what God has done in the past, the huge miracles that they've seen, the acts of deliverance, the, the God's work through the judges, regardless of that, they're going to respond to their current circumstances. Their current circumstances say that there is a battle being waged, there is an enemy that is building up military might, and their circumstances overshadow what God has been doing throughout their history. This is part of the reason why we are doing the story, so we can remember what God is doing through the story. That as we remember, we can see and have faith in God who, who will do what he says he is going to do. We can have faith that he is who he says he is. No matter what our current circumstances are, we're called to focus on God. But the people forget that. The circumstances blind them to what God has been doing. And circumstances often blind us to what God is doing. We get so focused on what is going on in the here and now. We get focused on our current situation. And we forget that it was God who had healed that marriage. We forget that it was God who gave us purpose in our lives. We forget that it was God that cured that disease. We forget that it was God who provided that job. We forget that it was God that delivered us out of addiction. We forget that God with our current circumstances. And it becomes so easy for us to get into that spot where the circumstances of the moment become the focus. But in verse 14 and 15, if, if they would follow God, things will be okay. Even though that they have choosen, chosen a king, even though they have gone down this path, God is saying, I will still redeem that. I'll work with your plan. I'll work with this thing of a king that you've set up. If you will obey my commands. If you will follow me, then things will go good. But if not, if you go against me, things are not going to turn out well. So here is your last chance. Here is the chance that you have to do what God is calling you to do. They can still do this, even with the king. It's not too late. But there's a third foolish choice. And that's options over obedience. Saul starts off pretty well. He's, he's following God. He's doing what God has called him to do. He's leading in a way that honors God. He's obeyed God. And they're having military success as they fight their enemies. But then things shift. 
In 1 Samuel 15, they're going out to fight the Amalekites, and they have very specific instructions. God tells them to kill everything. Kill all the people, destroy every person, kill every sheep, every cattle, every donkey, every person in the city. Take nothing. Wipe everything out. And so Saul goes into this battle. And then we see these two words. But Saul. But Saul. Here are your instructions, Saul. This is what you're to do when you go into this battle. But Saul. But Saul starts to think that maybe his options are better than obedience. He does not do what God calls him to do. Instead of doing that, he spares the king. He takes the best of the sheep and the cattle. He takes everything that's valuable and lets, and lets the soldiers plunder the city. And so Samuel comes to confront him. And this is Saul's response. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. I did what I was supposed to. You know, don't pay attention to the things behind the curtain. I have done what I was supposed to. I have followed God's instructions. Not exactly. These, this is not what he was supposed to do. And so he sees Saul, Samuel coming, and he sounds like a little kid who says, I didn't eat the cookies, but you've got the chocolate smeared all over your face. It's like, yes, I know you ate the cookies. And Samuel's response, Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? I hear something. Could it be, Saul, that maybe you didn't do what you were supposed to do? Why do I hear these sheep? Why do I hear these cattle? I like how Samuel just kind of plays with Saul a little bit here. Why do I hear this? And then Saul has to start justifying it because obviously his first statement was not true. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. So I'm going to throw them under the bus. The soldiers did it, even though I'm king. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. So I'm going to do a good thing. We're, we're going to take these cattle that I was told to kill, and we're going to use these as a sacrifice to God. I'm going to make this into something spiritual, right? This not being obedience. I'm now twisting into something that can be spiritual. We were going to do a sacrifice to God. Yeah, that's it. We were going to use this for good stuff. But Samuel can see right through this. Saul is so quick to blame the soldiers. He's so quick to justify himself. He does not respond with humility. He doesn't respond with brokenness. There's not this, yes, I'm caught. Instead, he's defensive, which is a sign of pride, which starts to the unraveling of Saul. It's all downhill from here. And so often we get into these situations where we are criticized, where, where someone comes to us and tries to confront us on, on something that we're not doing right. We're confronted about the way we're talking to others. We're, we're confronted with how we behave with our, our husbands or wives. We're, we're confronted in some situation by people we love, and, and immediately we go to a place of defensiveness. 
And that's a sign of pride. And this is something that is so difficult for all of us because we want to be right. I want to be right. I don't want somebody to tell me that I'm screwing up, that I'm, I'm messing up. And I try too often unsuccessfully. I try to, to respond with criticism to think, okay, maybe there's something in there that God's trying to tell me. Is there some truth in there that God is trying to communicate to me? Even if it's hidden in a bunch of attacks, it's, it's hidden in some ugliness, is there something that God is trying to correct in me? And so can I look at that criticism, can I look at that critique and not immediately jump to defensiveness? Can I look and see maybe there's something that God has for me there? It's a work in progress. I'm trying on that. But Saul continues to try to get himself out of the situation. Instead of responding with humility, he continues to dig this hole deeper and responds with pride. In Samuel verse 15, verse 19, Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I did what he said to do. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, except for all the stuff I brought back, and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better to sacrifice. See, Saul thought that he could take the instructions of the Lord and, and change that in some way. He could come up with his own options instead of being obedient to what God had said. But Samuel makes it very clear, even if you meant this for some sort of spiritual thing, it was not obedience to what God was calling you to do. You took this into your own hands. You, you took this into your own control, and you did this your way. And even if that way was something that was good, something that glorified God, it was not obedience to what God called you to. And so to obey is better than sacrifice. Our hearts of obedience is better than our token offerings laid out on an altar. Obedience is better than what you burn on the altar or what you throw into an offering plate. Sacrifice isn't bad. Doing things for God is not bad unless God has called you to something else. If he has given you some other instruction, we have to be obedient to that. But Saul did what, what, what Saul did was almost obedience. He almost did what God called him to do. And for that, he was not following God. He did what he thought was best. I've heard it said that um, God's love language is obedience. Not that we are trying to earn our salvation. It's not some sort of legalistic thing where if you do this, then you earn the love of God. We have the love of God regardless. The, the, the grace covers over that. But when we're obedient to what he calls us to, that is just music to his ears. That brings a smile to his face because, because we're doing what he's asked us to do. We're being obedient in our calling. 
Have you ever tried to leave the options open? Where God is calling you into something, He has given you some sort of instruction, He has, has prompted you or put some sort of impression on your heart to do something, and, and you have tried to, to shift that into some sort of other sort of option. Maybe he's called you into some sort of mission work, and you said, well, maybe I'll just donate money to it instead. Maybe he has put on your heart a, a change in career. He's put on your heart a change in career, and, and you say, well, I can kind of keep this job and just volunteer more at church. He's called you to, to reach out to some some neighbor or coworker, and, and share your story, and, and you think, well, I can just be really nice to them and kind of leave my Bible sitting on my desk. And he's put some sort of impression on our heart, something, he has called us to do something. And instead of full obedience to that, we just kind of do it. We, co we come up with our own options. If I just volunteer more here or smile more here or say a few things here or, or give some money here, then that's obedience, right? That's what God's calling me to. And so I don't know what God is, is saying to you specifically. This is something that is unique to every individual, but he is placing a calling on your life. He is giving you instructions. He is, he's wanting something for you. And are you listening to what he is saying? And are you being obedient to that? When he, has, when he has given you that impression to do something, are you acting in obedience or, or do you put it off? Do you procrastinate and say, ah, oh, maybe next time. Maybe next time. I too often find myself in that. Where, where God prompts me to do something and I say, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. And many of us have faced situations where we realize there may be no tomorrow. And that opportunity may not come. They must not want me as their king, is what God is thinking. As they choose their own path, they choose their own options. And God just thinks they don't want me as king. They want to set something else up as king. They want to set career, success, reputation, house. They want to place activities, recreation, education, status. They want to place those things as king. James chapter 4, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We humble ourselves in front of God and say, you are king. Not myself, not my own abilities, not my own desires. You are king. But the nearsighted choices that we make get in the way of that. By choosing a human king, they were choosing against God. Because you can't have both. By very definition of king, there can only be one. And so who is that king? Their lust for power derailed God's purpose for them as a nation. They couldn't see God's salvation in the midst of their circumstances. Saul wanted to create his own options over God's instructions. And we get wrapped up into those same traps. 
Do you want God as king? Or do you want something or someone else to sit on that throne? Will you obey? Or will you rationalize? Will you justify? Will you come up with excuses? Or will you be obedient to what God is calling you to do to place him as king of your life? Unapologetically, uncompromisingly, God is king. He wants so badly to be in that place in your heart. There is one throne in your heart. And God wants to be in that. So much so that he would send his son down to this earth to live a life, a human life, just like us. And so when Jesus was beaten by the Roman guards, he chose the purposes of God over his own power. He could have removed himself from the situation. He could have called in the angels, but he chose God's purpose over his own power. And when he was mocked and when he was hanging on that cross, he was choosing salvation over his circumstances. And when he prayed, not my will, your will be done, he chose obedience over the other options that were placed in front of him. And so when he walked out of that grave three days later, he proclaimed forever that he is the only king we will ever need. He is the only king we will ever need. Let's be standing. To say that, uh, that God is king is an easy thing to say, but to actually live that out every day is a constant struggle for each and every one of us. That every day we're faced with choices of whether or not God is king or if something else is king. And as we make those choices every day, we need our brothers and sisters speaking truth into our life. We need our brothers and sisters holding us up and encouraging us and challenging us and calling us out on stuff. And humbly receiving that and processing that as we encourage one another, as we lift one another up, as we sharpen one another. And so we're going to have some time of prayer. This is a time that you can pray with one another. You can go pray for someone. If you, if you know a situation that somebody's in, walk across the room and go pray with them. Go pray over them, encourage them, strengthen them. We'll have our shepherds down front, and you can come down and pray with one of them as well. But as we, as we process through this, what are the areas where God is not king, where we need to, to let go of something and surrender that and humble ourselves to him? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for, for your word and for your stories and, and the great messages that you give us. God, we want you to be king of our lives and so in the ways that we have fallen short of that, God, I pray for forgiveness and I pray that you help us to do better. I pray that you will reveal to us the ways that we need to continue to surrender our lives to you. God, you are king. 
And we want to be a place that declares that with every part of who we are, of our, of our lives every day, of the way we, we're at work, the way we're at school, the way that we're at with our family and with our friends, that we declare that you are king in every part of our life. Help make that so. Help us to, to continue to hear your voice and be obedient to what you're calling us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray.